0: Good morning. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. Casey Tigert I'm the spiritual formation pastor. I just wanted to let you know Jason was not harmed in the filming of that video. Uh, he's doing well. He's on the mend. He's in the hospital, but he's good. So I'm glad to be here for this series, Flip This Marriage. We don't want you to flip your marriages so that you can sell them, but we can uh, flip these marriages so that we can actually live in them and enjoy uh, the marriages that are being built. I'm excited to be a part of this. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, I, we've talked a lot about the stuff that goes into it, the structure of a marriage and a relationship. But I want to talk about the stuff that's underneath it because really and truthfully, you talk to anyone who builds a house, they'll tell you one of the keys to a solid house is a solid foundation. If it's built on something firm, something solid, something well done, there's a very low chance that it's going to fall apart. But if it's built on something that's not solid, there's a very good chance that it will indeed fall apart. So we're going to talk a lot about foundations today. And the reality is this is a big problem for marriages because we don't get a lot of good examples of foundations. Whether it's the families that we came out of, or whether it's the people that we see in our neighborhood, or whether it's just the kind of images of relationships we see in movies and television. So let me just show you a couple that came to mind when I was thinking about this. The first one is from Titanic, all right? Jack and Rose, right? I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go, right? One of the most watched movies of all time. This whole relationship gets its start in the cargo hold of a cruise liner. I'm not thinking silver anniversary for them, even if Jack makes it, right? Because it's just not a great place to start. Okay, how about this one? I'm reaching back a little bit for for some of you here, and you'll know who you are. What about the movie Love Story? Right? The great line from Love Story is, love means never having to say, you're sorry. Really? Really? Is the subtitle to this film how to destroy every relationship you've ever had, ever will have, or ever should have in the future? Are you kidding me? Let's practice that this week. Just if you're really in love, don't say you're sorry for anything this coming weekend. Let's see how that pans out. Our pastoral care department's going to get flooded if we do that. And finally, the one that seems very, very apparent to me, the one relationship, is Charlie Brown and Lucy. Because Come on. Honestly, there's got to be something else going on there. The guy just keeps coming, trying to kick the football, knowing she's going to move it. What is it that draws him to her? I wish some Saturday mornings he would just veer to the right and just kick her. You know what I mean? She pulls the ball out of the way, 50-yarder through the uprights. Lucy is good. There's something. There's some kind of pain that founds their relationship. I never got it. But we don't see very good examples of relationships, of foundations. and And the problem with that is that, it leads us to think about other places that we can build relationships. So we go to spark, that spark, that thing that we see, that physical attraction, that surface level attraction that we see in other people. We try to build a relationship just on spark. The problem is if you build a relationship, a marriage or anything else on spark, you're going to need a new marriage like every two to three years. Because the spark will fade because it's all based on how well someone is put together physically, how well they look on the surface. But I got to tell you something, gravity is relentlessly chasing all of us. Okay, you are going to wrinkle and sag in ways that there is no iron in the world that it could take care of unless you're Kenny Rogers. And apparently he has something that we don't know about. So that's why we've got to, when it comes to founding our relationships, it can't be on spark because things get in the way. Mortgages, kids, jobs, stress. It's got to be built on something else, something firmer. Because this spark doesn't last. Alanis Morissette in her song, Hands Clean, says, maybe I'll marry you one day if you watch your weight and you keep that firm body. It's It's just not worth it. It's not worth building our relationships on. So where do we do it? Where do we start our foundation? Well, Jesus has some really good direction on that, and if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 7 this morning. If you don't, that's all right, we'll have it on the screen. But Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are some of the most powerful teachings that Jesus gives for practical living every day. It's world-changing kind of stuff, and in the midst of that, he starts talking about the foundations of our lives, and I believe this applies not only if you're married, but if you're single. This applies to your life, the foundation of your life. But if you're married, it definitely applies to the foundation of your marriage. So in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, it says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So Jesus contrasts two different people in two different houses. The first one, the wise man, goes for the bedrock. The bedrock is not just the rock that you find in your garden. It's the stuff way underneath the surface. It's the stuff that you have to dig with machinery to get to. The stuff that doesn't move. It's part of the earth. And what Jesus says is that when you build your house on that kind of depth, on that kind of firmness, on that kind of stuff... Rain and wind and everything that's going to come at it from the outside can't knock it over. So when I talk to new couples who are getting married, I tell them there are three things that are going to endanger your relationship, money, sex, and family, and not necessarily in that order. How you handle your checkbook, what you do in the bedroom, and how you handle his family or her family or your kids is going to traumatically affect your relationship. Because those are things that will bring storms of arguments and dissension and disagreements if you're not on the same page. Sometimes it's that internal stuff, but sometimes it's external stuff. Whether it's baggage we bring from other relationships or whether it's stresses that we have in our job or unemployment or just our, our feeling of, uh, of you know, unresolved anger or stress or any of that kind of thing. It's going to beat against our relationships. And what Jesus says is... The house that's built on that deep stuff, the stuff that's way below the surface, those are the ones that can stand up against anything. Any storm, any flood, anything that comes against it, it will not fall. So we have to begin to dig, get down to that bedrock. And that's where the foundation needs to begin. And Jesus says the reason it doesn't fall is because it was founded. And here this word is not only just founded, but rooted Meaning that this is where it starts to grow from. So in Ephesians 3 it says, Look, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you're growing out of that place in your marriage, if you're coming out of that place, it's going to be strong enough to withstand all the stuff that comes from the outside. Now, both this reference talks a lot about sticking it out. Because if you talk to married couples who've been married for a long time, they'll probably tell you there were moments where they thought they needed to cut and run. I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. And yet there was something that kept them around, and most likely it was because they were building on something more than just the surface, more than just the spark. They were building on something way, way deeper than that, something immovable that helped them stand up to it. And what Jesus is saying is that if you build your life on my teachings, it'll stand up to the storm. It'll stand up to the floods because forgiveness is concrete. Love is eternal. Resurrection is heavier than the universe. These are things that don't move. These are the things that Jesus gives us. And the reason why also is because there are things that we don't see. There are things that are much, much deeper than we can even see. If you've ever seen a picture of an iceberg, what you'll notice is there is a mountain on top, but there are multiple mountain ranges underneath the surface of the water. And when we're building our life on the foundation of Jesus, it's not just about what you see. There's this stuff underneath it that's holding it up. An iceberg is dangerous not because of what's on the surface, but because of what's underneath. And our marriages will stand up, not because of what's on the surface, but because of what's underneath. So that's one guy. But Jesus talks about a second guy, a foolish guy, a guy who builds his house on the sand. And the sand is all about surface. It's loose stuff. Water comes along and just sweeps it away. If you dig through sand, you know what you're going to find underneath it? More sand. It's just going to keep going, and there's nothing solid underneath it. And so it just keeps getting washed away and whisked away. Now, the funny thing is, in the Bible, the word for sand is animos, which is also the word they use for the beach. And I don't know about you, but this is about that time of year I start to get itchy for the beach. The sand, waves, the sun coming up. You hear the seagulls. And that wasn't me. I had that recorded. What's wrong with the beach? There's nothing wrong with the beach. It's a beautiful place. So when we're talking about building these sort of beachside marriages, these beachside lives where we build them, it's a beautiful thing. But in a beachside marriage, there are things that we come to expect. First of all, in a beachside marriage, for a guy, it means he has a tan supermodel wife who loves every sport imaginable and believes that he's entitled to the remote control. That's what a beachside wife looks like. A beachside husband looks like Brad Pitt is a super action hero and has six pack abs, but he's also very good at listening and can wax a mean floor. That's a beachside husband. But the problem with that is it's all surface. It's all chemistry. It's all spark. And we've watched enough Hollywood marriages end to know that a bikini body and six pack abs, a solid marriage, do not make. You can't found it on something like that. It has to be founded on something deeper. Andy Stanley says that most of us believe in a right person myth. That somewhere out there, there's someone who we're going to have a connection with and chemistry with that's going to be greater than any love that's ever been had in the history of love. My mama, my grandmama has never loved anybody like this. And that person's going to be so right for me that they're going to have everything that they need that I don't have to work on patience or forgiveness or self-control because they're all going to be fine. And I'm not going to have to use that in my marriage. Can I tell you something? That person does not exist can't build our marriages and our lives on the other person expecting them to be the foundation because we're building on soft stuff the beach the sand the surface level the romantic the stuff that's easily washed away when stresses come along and there's a reason i know that you see because on february the 9th 1999 i was dating a wonderful beautiful woman She had everything I could possibly ask for. She was the kind of person that I I really, really could see myself spending the rest of my life with. But I was on a college campus, and I was surrounded by college girls. And I started thinking more with the beach in mind. Do I really want to limit my options here? Do I really want to limit myself to just this one person? And so on February 9, 1999, I decided that I wanted to end that relationship and move on. The problem is, 22 years earlier, on February the 9th, that young lady was born. And so on her birthday, I decided to cut it off. And the problem was, I never even gave it a second thought. Because for me, the only thing that really mattered was what was out there. Now, thankfully, she took me back, and in August, we'll celebrate 11 years of marriage. Don't clap. Seriously, don't clap. I dumped my wife on her birthday. Give me a break. But it was because I was founded someplace other than something stable, something, something that would last. I was thinking about things in terms that would not last, that would be passing away pretty soon. And the Bible says, Jesus says that the fall of that house built on sand is great. The word there is megalay. The reason why it's so great is because when it goes down, it's like a human grenade. And shrapnel goes everywhere. Emotional, spiritual, psychological for the kids, for the family members, for the friends. It goes everywhere. When those houses built on sand fall, there is no one who's left unaffected because... It's something serious, it's something deep, it's something that, that, that will wreck lives and, and change lives. And that's, that image of her birthday still hangs in my mind. And she tells me, just, I've gotten past it, and I'm like, well, good for you. I'm still feeling pretty bad. So, when it falls down, when it's built on sand, everything gets destroyed. So how do we keep from going there? The way we keep from going there is by building a good foundation. Now, that's just some practical tools for that. I want to tell you right now, uh, some of you, if you have kids in the room, I'm going to talk about sex here in a few minutes. So if you want to avoid an awkward conversation on the way home, you may want to, like, buy some, find some earmuffs or take them out or something like that. Just so you know, that's coming up. I want to let you know that. How do we build this strong foundation? Well, the first thing we need, we need good advice. Taking our own advice does not work out very well. So if we're going to have a good solid foundation, we need good advice. We need scripture involved in our life as individuals and as a couple because Jesus is really the only one who has any advice that's worth listening to. The longer we listen to ourselves, the more trouble we're going to get into. And so if we want to find out what life should look like for a married couple, we need to find out what life should look like for us as individuals at the same time. It's funny, we've been talking about this passage from Ephesians chapter 5 throughout the series, where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. And if you think about that for a minute, that direction in our marriage brings a tremendous amount of change. What would your marriage look like if you were willing on a daily basis to die for your spouse? To die to your agenda and set it aside for the sake of theirs? Jesus understood this because this is the way that Jesus carried himself. He came into this world and died so that we would have the power to live in the way that we were supposed to live. Not only just as individuals with our souls, but in our relationships as well. So when Jesus says, when Paul says this, he's got in mind the Jesus who did it, who walked that direction. And so when we read the story of scripture, we find Jesus doing the very act that he's asked us to do in our marriages. Are you willing to lay down your life for that other person? Lots of things change. The kind of fights we have change. The position of the toilet seat discussion changes. When you're willing to die for somebody else, those things fall away and you begin to understand you're in a very big story, a bigger story than you could ever imagine. And you also figure out what it really means to love. Jesus says there's no greater love than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. If you truly want to love your spouse, die for them. Die to your agenda. Die to your excuses. But only Scripture is the thing that can keep us doing that. Only Scripture is the thing that can give us the power to do that. The reality is we're changing as individuals. And the power of God is changing us through the Bible. Charlie Shedd said this. He said that marriage is not so much about finding the right person as becoming the right person. When we involve Scripture in our marriages, it's transforming us as individuals so that we can be better in that partnership. So that we change to become the person that the other person needs in their life. Andy Stanley says it this way, are you the person who you're looking for is looking for? If you want them to be upstanding, biblically founded, foundational kind of people, are you an upstanding, biblically founded kind of person? That applies to single and married couples. Are you the kind of person you want your spouse to be? And if you're not, then get the scriptures involved in there and they will correct and push. But also they'll give you the power to do it. Listen to what Paul says. He says that all scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It's not just so you know more. It's so you can do more. It's so that you have the ability to be the kind of person in your marriage that you know your marriage needs. You can be the kind of person you know your spouse needs. When we hear the Word of God and put it into practice, when we take that advice, we begin to see transformation happen. Because marriage is not about our happiness, Marriage is about our holiness. It's the place where we practice forgiveness, self-control, patience. If you've never had to practice patience in your marriage, you may not be doing it right. It's the place where we become transformed, and that's what the Bible does in us. So as a couple and as individuals, we have to get that involved into our lives on a daily basis. The second thing we need in our foundation is good conversation. Good conversation. The reality is is that God is the greatest communicator that has ever been in history. God has talked through burning bushes. God has talked through storms. God even spoke through a donkey, and proof of that is He's doing it right now. God has spoken through all sorts of different ways. He's the greatest communicator ever. So when you start communicating with God, you will learn how to communicate with your spouse. And the reason why is because you start to figure out your place in this whole scenario. When we start to communicate with God, we begin to realize that we are not him. And that's a very good thing. Listen to what Paul says. He says, look, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. One of the most recognizable Christians of all time says, I am the worst sinner alive right now. When we start to get into conversation with God, what he teaches us is, look, you guys need me because you're both meatheads. And you're not going to do this on your own. You don't have the juice to put this together on your own. You both need me. So stop it with the I'm better than you are act. You're both the chiefs of sinners. So come to me. Let's have an honest conversation about this. Because when you don't think someone's on your level, you can't have a conversation with them. In your marriage, if you feel like you're on some sort of higher spiritual plane, you're going to end up lecturing them, and trust me, that is not going to work in your marriage. A spouse lecture does not go very far. I said this at the last service, and my wife smiled at me. I'm not sure what that means, I'm going to have to go back and check. But lecturing our spouses don't work. We have to realize that we're both on the same plane. We're both the chiefs of sinners and we need the desperate insight of God through prayer to do what we need to do on a daily basis. Maybe this is why Paul says in Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because when we get to the point of realizing that we're the chiefs of sinners in our relationships, we switch our brains. We go from battle to peacemaking. We go to the place where we realize that we are actually receiving a very awesome gift by having our spouse. We realize that we've been giving something amazing by God. Guys, can I talk to you for a second? God doesn't owe you your marriage. God does not owe you your family. It's a gift. And if you don't take care of it, it will go bye-bye. So when we communicate with God, we have to realize we all have been giving an amazing gift to take care of in our marriages and our families we would communicate with him well. He'll teach us how to do that. But some people want to communicate well with God and then treat their spouse entirely differently. They're kind of like the folks who get a double quarter pounder and a Diet Coke. As if there's some sort of epic battle that takes place in the arteries and the Diet Coke always overcomes the cholesterol. It doesn't happen, man. does not happen. We can't expect to have a great conversational connection with God and treat our spouse like they're not a gift from Him and that we can take them for granted. That doesn't work that way. That's not how it happens. And the only way we really get to the point where that's part of the foundation is if we're talking to God on a regular basis. So guys, stop it with the ball and chain stuff. Okay? Stop it with the old lady stuff. If you are exposing yourself to music or films that degrade women, that call them prostitutes, get rid of it, because what you're doing is jamming a stick of dynamite in the foundation of your relationship. Whether you're single or you're married, you're setting yourself up for failure. Get it out. Women, if you're in a group of women who are bashing their husbands, get out of there. Don't share it. Don't spread it, because it's not productive. We will give you plenty of original material to bash us with face-to-face. You don't need to go to other people for ideas. Get out of there because you're dynamiting your foundation. That's the kind of communication that God teaches us to have. When we come to Him and say, I'm bringing as much baggage as that other person is to this relationship, and you start building on that, incredible things happen. Last thing we need is good connection. We need intimacy. Now, listen, I know there are people in this room whose sex has been taken off the table for you, it's not a possibility. Whether it's a physical thing or an emotional thing. I get that. But there are some of you who have just left it behind for no good reason. Maybe because it's just too complicated. Maybe because you just don't have time for it. Sex is an important concept in the Bible. We all go in our brains to think about what the Bible says not to do in sex. But the Bible also says a lot of good things about what to do in sex. It's not an instruction manual, but it says a lot of good things about what to do in sex. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not deprive one another of sex, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you might devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex here, okay? Do I need to explain what this is? Sex is here, okay? And if you need that, we can talk later. So sex is here. Paul says, and then prayer is over here, all right? Sex is what it is. Prayer is communication with God. And so Paul says, the only thing you should give up this for is this. This is intimate connection with your spouse. This is intimate connection with God. Do you see the tie that he's making? There's only one thing that can replace with enough strength The power of intimacy that sex has, and that is prayer, direct conversation with God himself. Paul is saying that sex has a very powerful, powerful influence. Almost as powerful as what we do in our life of prayer to God. It's a foundational thing. It's a gift that God has given us to relate to our spouses, to get to know them better. And to get to know them in a way that no one else will get to know them. It's one of the most spiritual things some of us can do in this room today is to go have sex with our spouse. And yes, I just said that from up here. One of the most spiritual things you can do is go home and either schedule some time, if you've got to do it in the smartphone, if that's your life, hey, I get it, people are busy. But if you've got to schedule a block of time for sexual intimacy with your spouse, you've got to do that. And you know what? After you're done, pray. How many of you have prayed after sex before? Okay, there's the awkward awkward chuckle there. And no, guys, I don't mean, thank God, finally. You know, I don't. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that says, God, thank you for this gift of intimacy. Thank you for it. And you don't have to say Don't feel like you've got to be King James eloquent. You could just be like, yeah. Yeah, good. I don't know. Yeah. you Just expressing the fact that this is a good thing that God has given us. James says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's a gift that God has given us to know each other. So schedule some time. Block it out. Do it and then thank God for it. And now guys, you don't go home and go, "Hey, he said we had to," so like 6 days this week, you and me. No, it may only be 1 day this week, but it'll be the best day you've ever had because it's a moment where you're not only engaging in intimacy with your spouse, it's a moment where you are engaging in a gift that God has given and it becomes an act of worship, not just an act of lust. It becomes something bigger than you've ever imagined and it'll blow the doors off your marriage. It just will. Because it's about being known. And intimacy is all about being known. If you look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's often used for sex on the wedding night is yada. So when you say yada, 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 you're saying something different than you think you're saying. There's a great Seinfeld episode about that. But anyway, um, the word yada is about being known. Intimacy is all about knowing someone in a way that no one else gets to know them. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this about Adam and Eve. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew yada, They knew that they were naked and they were sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It's a different level of knowledge. It's an openness and an intimacy and a different kind of understanding of that other person than they've ever had before. So, sex and intimacy are all about being known. Guys, your wife just wants you to know her. Ladies, your husband just wants you to know him deeply at the core of who he is. Guys, we're not great at this. And you know where it really comes out? It comes out when we try to give gifts. Here's what you don't give your spouse, all right? Just a little help from me to you. This is for free. Power tools? No power tools, okay? If they have to work, it's not a gift, okay? No power tools, no workout gear. Honey, I was looking at you the other day, and I thought you could use this running suit. Gym memberships are out. Same, same principle. Self-help books? Please don't. That just says a whole lot about what you're thinking. Gag gifts? Gag gifts are only funny to you. They don't think it's funny because they have to keep it. And then finally, guys, don't buy lingerie. And here's why. Because your wife will go for the comfortable, sexy looking stuff. You will go for the Wild West stuff with the chaps and the spurs and the studs. And you'll go for the crazy stuff. They don't want that. We, they just need to be nice. One of the ways that we know them is by giving them the kind of gifts that says, we know who you are. We know what you're all about. We know what you want. We know what you like. We know you deeper than anybody else in the world. And when that's part of your foundation, amazing things begin to happen. Now, if you need more help with this... On Sunday or Saturday, June the 4th, we're having a conference with Les and Leslie Parrott. And this is for married folks, engaged folks, dating folks. It's just a way for you to increase your opportunity to have an intimate knowledge of your spouse. And they have a great online tool that they're going to debut at this at this seminar. I think it would be really good for you to have in your hands. So after you leave here, you can go out. There's a laptop in the foyer. You can go out and register even before you leave. It's 60 bucks for the day and you get lunch. Compare that to an hour of marriage counseling at 150 do the math whichever one is good for you that's fine but you can get that tool uh, at that seminar so how do we know when our foundation is deep and here's what paul says in galatians 5 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law when you start to see these things emerge in your marriage you know that you're building on that deep foundation What would your marriage or your life look like with some peace in it? What would your marriage look like with some patience in it? Some self-control. Some goodness, some gentleness. What would that look like? What would it look like if we tapped into this deep, deep foundation and began to grow out of it? To where our arguments changed. To where we realized, I'm bringing just as much baggage as you are. I want the peace of God to be a huge part of our relationship. Let's found what we do on that from now on. What will happen is the Spirit of God will infiltrate your relationship and the storms that come, the money, sex, family, the anger, the baggage, the unresolved issues, all of those things that beat against your marriage and against your life will not topple your house. You will not fall. We have a, a privilege today to have Patrick and Molly Lockwood with us. Uh, Patrick and Molly are part of the singing group Mosaic that we've had here at Parkview on several occasions. And I had a chance to talk with them, and they're going to share a song with us. I got a chance to talk to them. Both of them came out of families in which their, uh, their parents separated. And they both, their parents separated for issues of infidelity, And so as their relationship was coming together and as they were trying to figure out what it was going to look like, there was a lot of fear. There was a fear that the same thing that happened to their parents was going to happen to them. And Molly especially really clung tightly to love. Didn't want to release it, didn't want to let it go, didn't want to trust it because what happened in my parents' relationship, what if it happens to me? What if love fails us? And God spoke to her very directly and said, If you release that love from your control and you put it on me, and you love me first, my love, the love that died for you, that Calvary love, will never fail you in your marriage. It will keep you and Patrick together through the toughest of times. When the storms come, when the floods come, when the rains come, it will hold you together. And so Molly was able to release that love to him And now they've been able to experience three years of marriage together. And from that, they've got great stories. They've got a great connection with each other. But also they have this incredible, beautiful song that they're going to share with you today. We're going to prepare for communion right now. Man, that song is just unbelievable. I'm always amazed by uh, when you read the Bible, you find that Jesus is referred to as the groom of the church. And sometimes that image kind of doesn't seem right. Um, it's a very intimate picture to paint of the Son of God, to paint of God. And yet, that's his role. He came into the world to show us what true love looked like. came into the world to show us what life could be for us. Not only in our individual comings and goings, but also in our marriages. He came to show us what reality was, what truth was, what beauty was. And he did that in such a way that it can be modeled everywhere. And this life of coming, laying it all down, dying for those you love, he then implants into marriages. And like the song says, this love of Calvary is your wedding gift for me. He gives us the greatest wedding present ever the body and the blood, the bread and the wine. The body that will give us strength when we're tired, when we're stressed, when we're broken. The blood that will give us forgiveness and grace when we mess it up, and we will. It's going to happen. But in that moment, that gift to us brings us back to our center, to our foundation, and reminds us of what God has done so that we don't have to fear whether love's going to fail us. So the love of God never fails. Never fails. So as we take communion, will you let that idea marinate in your brain that the great bride that we are to God, the beloved, the one cleansed and washed by Him, He's passionately pursuing us, giving us the strength and help we need for our individual lives and for our marriages as well. As the trays come across, your two cups. Reach in and take both those cups out. Hold them. We'll commune together. You don't have to be a member of Parkview to take communion with us. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're welcome to this table. Let me pray. Father God, how can we say thanks for this? For this moment where we know that we don't have to be afraid that love is going to fail us. In our marriages, in our lives, in our dating, in our jobs, in everything that we do, your love never fails, ever. And it goes so far as to die. In, the, in, in your son, it came to die And then live again so that we wouldn't have to be afraid of the end anymore. That we could have the kind of marriages that you want us to have. So let these elements seep into every crack in our foundation. To firm up the things that we're building our marriages on today. Bless us in this time to focus our minds on you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.